You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Rapture in the Revelation, a synthetic view. Given that God's reclamation of the earth occurs at Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, and that his final blast of wrath against Antichrist and his beast mark worshippers consumes the remainder of the Revelation through chapter 19, If the rapture is to be found in the Revelation, it must occur before Revelation 11.15. The unacceptable position espoused by post-tribbers that the book of Revelation recapitulates makes the rapture in Revelation 11 highly unlikely. The pre-trib notion that the rapture occurs before chapter 4 of the revelation is unnecessary and unlikely. The only explicit reference in the revelation that logically resembles a possible raptured congregation is the universally innumerable multitude depicted in Revelation chapter 7. However, the resemblance is not sufficient grounds to support this claim alone. Therefore, we offer the following arguments in support of our conclusion that the rapture of the church is in fact depicted in Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 17. Since a post-trib rapture violates the absolute necessity that the temporal kingdom will be populated at its beginning with non-glorified righteous saints only, the rapture must occur at a time sufficient to allow both the salvation of Jews and Gentiles. Since the reign of God comes to earth at Revelation 11:15, we must backtrack to see where in the earlier chapters of the Revelation could a rapture occur to fulfill our mandate. Acts 2 is helpful in settling this question. The book of Acts answers the question of what happened to the Jews, i.e. the remnant of the righteous and the hardened Jews after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. The first chapter of Acts records the question, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? The apostles' question has two parts to it. There's a timing issue and the nature of the coming kingdom. To the timing question, Jesus offers a rebuke. Chapter 1, verse 7. It is none of their business concerning the specific timing God the Father has determined. It is very important to understand that Jesus did not say that God would not restore the kingdom to Israel, but that it was not theirs to know when God would bring the event to pass. 
Regarding the nature of the coming kingdom, Jesus remarked that Jewish and non-Jewish individuals alike are to receive the spirit-empowered witness of his resurrection. Rather than Jews ruling over Gentiles, the righteous remnant of Israel are to work and to make brothers and sisters of Gentiles. This activity is to continue until the uttermost parts of the earth has heard the message. Immediately after this bombshell, Jesus is evacuated to heaven. Two white-appareled men instruct the disciples, indicating that Jesus would only would one day return similarly to, to the earth. Questions immediately come to mind. Will Christ return before, as, or after the Spirit-empowered witnesses reaches the uttermost parts of the earth? What happens to Israel, i.e. the remnant and those hardened, during this interim? The answer to these questions are answered in chapter 2 and 3 of the book of Acts. Upon the ascension of Jesus, the faithful followers of Christ are to witness and make disciples of all nations. This mission is inaugurated by the reception of the Holy Spirit. Ten days after Jesus' ascension, the Holy Spirit came in fulfillment of God's promise. Peter explains the coming of the Spirit from the, an Old Testament scripture, Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. The specific formula used in verse 16 indicates a literal fulfillment. It is not like, similar, or typical, but what Joel actually promised. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32 is specifically quoted as the biblical explanation for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. With the outpouring of the Spirit, we learn what happened to the Jewish remnant of the righteous. They became the Lord's Spirit-empowered witnesses to the world. Peter's quotation of Joel chapter 2 verse 28 through 32 evidences several changes from its Old Testament counterpart. The most important change concerned the phrase, in the last days. The original phrase, after these things, is very broad and offers no clue as to when the events would occur from Joel's perspective. However, with the alternative phrase, in the last days, the timing becomes crystal clear. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit marked the entrance into a period called the last days. The period preceding the last day, which is, of course, the day of the Lord. The gift of the Spirit is thus a token that the last days foretold by the prophets have arrived. This period is to be characterized by prophetic utterances. Unlike the previous generations, both male and female, young and old, slave and free, will reveal God's will. Secondly, heavenly wonders and earthly signs will mark the beginning of the eschatological day of the Lord 
And thirdly, salvation is available to anyone requesting it. The book of Acts does not contain prophecies, visions, and miraculous signs. The book of Acts does contain prophecies, visions, and miraculous signs. However, there are no cosmic disturbances on the magnitude prophesied by Joel listed in the book of Acts. Therefore, the Pentecostal experience is the beginning of the fulfillment of Joel 2.28-32, but it certainly is not the total fulfillment. This confirms that a process of fulfillment has begun. The process began with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and will end with the day of the Lord. The period between these two events is called the last days. We call it the church age or the dispensation of mystery. The first and last day of the last days. Many conservative scholars will admit that the first day of the church began on the day of Pentecost. Dr. Stanley Toussaint comments are typical of those who take this position. He writes, quote, This event marked the beginning of the church up to the point the church was anticipated, Matthew 16, 18. The church constituted a body by means of spirit baptism. The first occurrence of the baptism of the Spirit, therefore, must indicate the inauguration of the church. Of course, Acts 2, 1-4 does not state that the Spirit baptism took place at Pentecost. However, verse chapter 1, verse 5 anticipates it, and chapter 11, verse 15-16 refers back to it as having occurred at Pentecost. The church, therefore, came into existence then. However, the termination or end of the last days has not shared an equal consensus. Pre-tribbers insist that the church age ends at the rapture before Daniel's 70th week begins. However, Joel tells us the exact day. The prophet Joel is considered by many scholars to be the fountainhead of Hebrew predictive prophecy. As such, several key concepts of biblical prophecy are first introduced through his writings. Among the concepts is the very important day of the Lord. This day becomes the frame of reference in the Lord's climatic program for Israel and the nations. Joel developed the day of the Lord's concept in the context of a national disaster. The most destructive locust plague described in scripture hits the land of Judah, proclaimed as a precursor to the final judgment of God. The locust plague was so convincing Judah to repent. Without repentance, judgment was sure. Fortunately for Judah, the warning was heeded and ultimate judgment was postponed. This scenario comprises the first major section of the book of Joel. The final major section of the book of Joel develops the future aspect of Israel's future, chapter 2, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 21. 
Judah would enjoy the blessings of the removal of the northern army, the land would be restored to productivity. These blessings were to be immediate. There were also to be future blessings which are outlined in chapter 2 verse 28 to chapter 3 verse 21. The first of the future blessings involved the outpouring of the Holy Spirit bringing about an increase in prophetic revelation. Chapter 2 verse 8, 28 through 29. Then cosmic and earthly signs and wonders signaled the coming of the day of the Lord. We then learned that the day of the Lord would include the judgment of the nations. Chapter 3 verse 1 through verse 7. God's reason for judging the nations stems from their continued hostility towards God's people. Immediately following God's wrath against the nations, the people of God, national Israel, receive their ultimate blessing, the long-awaited kingdom of God. Please notice the sequence. First, the outpouring of the Spirit produces prophetic revelation. Second, cosmic and earthly disturbances will signal the beginning of the day of the Lord. Third, the day of the Lord's judgment against the nations is followed by the messianic age of ultimate blessings. This exact same pattern is adopted by other prophetic writers who followed Joel in the Old Testament. This is not the only usage of Joel 2.28-32 in connection with eschatological apocalypticism, which confirms the importance of this passage for our discussion. It is also adopted by New Testament writers. While some writers adopt the sequence indirectly, others allude to it directly. Acts chapter 2, verse 17 to 21 is a direct reference. Given that the totality of Joel's prophecy was not fulfilled at Pentecost, the sequence of Joel chapter 2, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 21 is very important for discerning the next major phase of God's program. In his gospel, Luke indicates that Jesus was not only aware of the sequence, but also included the sequence in his parousia, long prophecy, Luke 21, 25. The same sign that signals the arrival of the day of the Lord signals Christ's return to rapture the saints. It is therefore no surprise to find the sequence in the book of Acts. It is, however, surprising that Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32, appears as an explanation for the beginning of the church, which is also the beginning of the last days. The last days, the period we now live in, we call it the church age, began with the outpouring of the Spirit and will culminate with the last day. John chapter 6, verse 39, verse 40, and verse 54. Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, 2, and Peter in 2 Peter 3, 1 through 13, highlight 
the significance of the day of the Lord by indicating that faithful believers will miss this day. Paul indicates that believers will escape this day, but Peter indicates the wicked will not. Therefore, we conclude that the day of the Lord terminates the last days, the church age, with the rapture, resurrection of the righteous, and with wrath and ruin to fall on the wicked. Therefore, the critical question. The critical question, therefore, is when does the day of the Lord begin? Some pre-tribulationalists hold that the day of the Lord begins immediately after the rapture, or at least with the start of the tribulation, says Dr. Paul Feinberg. Feinberg adds, quote, I would start the day of the Lord about the middle of the week, close quote. He concludes that the entire 70th week is the wrath of God. But the day of the Lord is an intensified expression of God's wrath, which begins at the midpoint of Daniel's last week. Dr. Renal Showers defines the day of the Lord in a similar way when he writes, We must recall in the scripture the expression the day of the Lord has a double sense in relationship to the future. A broad sense referring to an extended period of time involving at least the 70th week plus the millennium, and a narrow sense referring to one specific day, the day of which Christ will return to the earth from heaven immediately after the Great Tribulation. A synthetic position, on the other hand, would teach that the sixth seal of Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17 which is described in parallel language to Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32, and chapter 3, verse 15 through 16, and also Isaiah chapter 2, verse 10 through 21, signals the beginning of the eschatological day of the Lord. By recognizing this truth, the synthetic view clearly distinguishes between the wrath of Satan and his Antichrist, Revelation 12.12, 12, and the wrath of God, which begins at the day of the Lord and fulfills Isaiah chapter 2, verse 17, quote, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day, close quote. To properly meet this criterion, Satan's counterfeit Christ must cease to be any threat whatsoever. It will be God's day alone. There are four reasons for this conclusion. The composition of the sixth seal, the sequence, the reaction of the wicked, and the timing. First, the composition of the sixth seal is right. The sixth seal consists of the sign that signals the beginning of the eschatological day of the Lord, which is taken from Joel chapter 2, verse 30 to 31. And the reaction of the wicked which is taken from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, quote, In that day men will cast away to the moles and to the bats their idols, so silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship in order to go into the caverns of rocks before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty, which he arises to make the earth tremble. Close quote. Second, the sequence is right. 
the sign of the sun, moon, and stars is followed by the rapture of the elect. The wrath of God to the nations, trumpets and bowls, and the millennial blessings. This is the sequence developed by Joel, adopted by the prophets, and expanded in the New Testament, particularly by Christ to his disciples. Our Lord in his Olivet Discourse indicates that the sign of the day of the Lord in the sun, moon, and stars would be followed immediately by his return to gather his elect, Matthew 24, 29, and 31. Joel indicated a deliverance immediately following the sign of the day of the Lord, Joel chapter 2, verse 32. The sixth seal is immediately followed by the sealing of the 144,000, Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 through 8, and the rapture of the church to heaven, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 17. Then the seventh seal releases the seven trumpets of God's judgment. The sequence is first the sign, then deliverance, and finally wrath. Third, the reaction of the wicked is right. In the original Greek, the very first word of Revelation chapter 6, verse 17 is haughty, which, along with the verb has come, indicates that verse 17 is the cause for the resulting activity in verses 15 and 16. There are two reasons given for the wicked hiding and seeking death. The face of him who sits on the throne, God the Father, and the wrath of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Isaiah also declared that the wicked would react to these two things, the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 10 and verse 21. The face of God is a figure of speech. God the Father does not have a literal face, John chapter 4, verse 24. The word face is placed in the verse to denote his presence. This is a very common expression in the Old Testament, Psalms 42, 5 and verse 11, 1 Kings 10, 24, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 40. The face of God is a parallel expression to the glory of his majesty, which is used in Isaiah. God the Father is spirit, and therefore is invisible, Colossians 1.15. However, invincibility does not limit the revelation of God's majesty and holiness. As one does not have to see the Son to feel it, one does not have to see the Father to be aware of his presence. Paul confirms that both the Father and the Son will descend from heaven together at the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4.14. God the Father will come in the glory of his majesty. The contrast between the wickedness of man and the righteousness of God will be overwhelming. The wicked will not be able to stand. The wicked are also hiding and seeking death because of the wrath of the Lamb, an equal expression to Isaiah's use of terror of the Lord. 
The terror of the Lord is the outpouring of the wrath of God. Finally, there is a fourth reason for believing that the sixth seal signals the beginning of the day of the Lord. The timing is right. There are two indicators of time given. The first has to do with the concept of a day. Notice what the response is of the wicked in Revelation 6.17. Quote, the great day of his wrath has come. Close quote. It is a specific day of wrath that has come. The Jewish concept of the day following the night is powerfully depicted in the sixth seal. Following God's night will come God's day. The sudden absolute darkness that envelops the earth will prevent human activity to any degree. Just as the sudden darkness brings earth's activities to a standstill, the sudden coming of the light will send the wicked into hiding as the righteous are raptured. Absolute darkness will give way to absolute light. The second indicator of time is the verb elgun or elfen, which means has come. The kind of action used here is ingressive. It's the beginning of an action that is in focus. Four reasons support this conclusion, i.e. that the wicked are responding to the cosmic disturbances which signal the imminent outbreak of the wrath of God. First, there is the nature of the verb itself. Elfen, translated has come, is a verb that results in a state of being. In the sentence, the audience sat down so that the speaker could begin. Set down would be aorist and the emphasis would be on the beginning or ingressiveness of the action, i.e. began to sit down. <clears throat> Naturally, everyone didn't sit at the exact same time. Typically, they started being seated from the front and in somewhat of a wave action moved to the back. They did not take their seats all at the same time, but one by one until they were all seated. This is the idea demonstrated in Revelation 6.17. The aorist of the verbs, which denote a state or condition, generally expresses the entrance into that state or condition. A literal translation of our phrase would be the day of their wrath began to come. It was not instantaneous, it was not over in a second, but in fact it was initiated and will run for many months. Secondly, this would explain the activity of the wicked in verses 15 and 16. The reason they hide and seek death is because the sign of the Lamb's imminent wrath has just happened. Both Joel and Peter's use of Joel 2.28-32 indicate that the sign comes before God's wrath. 
The intent of the sign in the sun, moon, and stars makes it clear that the wicked will be aware that the wrath of God is beginning. When the universe loses all light sources and the glory of God lights up the whole universe as a spotlight on Jesus, the wicked will run, hide, and seek death. The third support for recognizing the sixth seal as the beginning of the wrath of God is the rhetorical question which concludes Revelation chapter 6 verse 17. Quote, who is able to stand? Close quote. This is an important clue and it is often overlooked by interpreters. All questions serve to simulate and arouse thought more vividly and engagingly than is true of statements, write John Beckman. Beckman distinguishes between real and rhetorical questions. Quote, the first asks for information. The second conveys information. Close quote. The first asks a question that someone else must answer. The latter asks a question that he himself must answer. Immediately we ask what fact is conveyed by the rhetorical question, who is able to stand? There are five possible ways rhetorical questions are used in the New Testament. Beckman stipulates that rhetorical questions in the New Testament transform into statements which function to highlight certitude, incertitude, evaluation, command, or a new subject or new aspect of the same subject. The particular question in Revelation 6.17 is a rhetorical question of certitude. Rhetorical questions of certitude simply express the fact that the speaker is sure of what he is saying. He speaks with certainty. By asking a rhetorical question of certitude, the wicked are stating an absolute fact. No one can stand when the wrath of God comes. In statement form, the issue is obvious, but the rhetorical question to make the point more vivid. These are not the comments of individuals who have experienced some of God's wrath only to conclude finally that they are doomed. Rather, these are men who are suddenly overshadowed by the presence of Almighty God and realize that the wrath of God is in fact imminent. They conclude that there is no defense against it. At the very hour that they are saying peace and safety, Paul said, the lights go out and then the lights of lights will shine. For believers, it will be a day of deliverance. For unbelievers, it will be a day of destruction. The final reason for taking elfin as an ingressive verb in terms of aspect is Revelation chapter 6 verse 17 is because of similar usage in the New Testament. Notice the following examples. Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. The day has come. Mark chapter 14, verse 41. The hour has come. John chapter 13, verse 1. His hour has come. 
John chapter 16, verse 21, her hour has come. Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, your wrath has come. Revelation chapter 14, verse 7, the hour of his judgment has come. Revelation chapter 14, verse 15, the time has come. Revelation chapter 18, verse 10, in one hour your judgment has come. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, the marriage of the Lamb has come. Mark 14, 41 is the most important parallel. It states, quote, and he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come, Elthin. Same word used in Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Close quote. This passage indicates that the hour had just begun. Events were in motion. Judas and the soldiers were on their way to arrest Jesus, but were in no way complete. William Lane, in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark, writes, quote, The two statements, the hour has come and the Son of Man is handed over to sinners, are synonymous. The second simply clarifies the tenor of the first declaration. They indicate that the moment is imminent when the power of sin and death will overwhelm Jesus and destroy him, close quote. What is immediately clear is that the events need not have occurred. Rather, the circumstances necessary to bring the event to pass may have only just begun. This is the most logical conclusion in Revelation chapter 6 verse 17 and Mark chapter 14 verse 41. Therefore, if the sixth seal is the sign that precedes the wrath of God, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lamb's coming, and it does, and if the day of the Lamb, the Lord, concludes the church age, the last days, and it does, then there is overlap between the 70th week and the church age. Traditional dispensationalists are wrong. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 